It's not so much that you and your wife go out into the world and the world looks at you and says, look how holy they are. I want to be like them. They look at your Christian marriage and say, look how they forgive each other. I've got to know how they can do that. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church in Hilton Head, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great. Yeah, good, Nick. Thanks. J.D., you're risking life and limb podcasting while driving again? No, I'm, I'm parked in a Walmart parking lot, so I'm... Uh, yeah, we are still on vacation and we are reprovisioning. So we um, couldn't uh, anymore just go to the local Exxon that's near where we're staying. So we had to go all the way down the mountain to the Walmart. So here we are. That's right. <laughs> it's a long tradition of Walmart podcasting. <laughs> that's right. Um, I'm having my uh, piano tuned in my house right now. So if you hear some uh, jingle, <laughs> jingle jangly or the same note hit 800 times in a row, that's what happened. That's what's happening. So apologies for that. You have um, some little funny anecdote about what's going on with you, Matt, now, um, other than just your strange eating habits, or is that, leave that <laughs> <up>? <laughs> I guess he did. He gave the last one. That's right. <laughs> Just offhand mention something that is just unique Random. and so lovably idiosyncratic about yourself. <laughs> totally <laughs> show-stopping. <Yeah. laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was having my one my one meal that I have every three weeks. Uh, I always, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Be careful. If you get JD started on things you will eat or won't eat or like or don't like, he'll he'll latch onto it. Or keep going. And never keep let going. it go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I just find it so fascinating. Like that. Oh, anyway, we don't get me started. Nick. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> don't, don't get started. I mean, I'm, I'm actually the I'm one black. who's who has had something interesting happen to him recently. I just yeah. arrived home from Crete yesterday. Well, yesterday into the U.S. home into my own home today, just less than an hour ago. So I'm fresh off the plane here. But I wanted to actually ask you guys because I did have the chance to experience a big fat Greek wedding, and I'll tell you <laughs> that. My big fat Greek wedding is a pretty accurate text for how (laughs) Greek weddings go. Interesting to say. So I wanted to sort of tell the story of this particular wedding a little bit just for a few minutes and then talk to you guys about weddings and um, what who's a wedding for? uh, How do we prepare a couple for marriage, et cetera, just sort of the whole story, because it was really fascinating to go to this very tiny church in Crete. Um, You have a very real sense that these are local churches for a really small village. But weddings, of course, have become much more modern, like the rest of everything. And so there were at least maybe 100 people invited to this wedding, but there were probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 chairs in this church. So clearly that's become the norm because there are loudspeakers hooked up outside the church and there's no expectation that everybody will actually go inside the church. Um, Many people just sort of milled around outside, seemingly as far as I could tell, paying no attention particularly (laughs) to what was happening inside. And even inside, when I walked in, of course, as you might imagine, it's very ornate, lots of beautiful artwork. The priest, and it was like 95 degrees and he was fully, you know, stole and cope and all the stuff. I mean, he must have been sweating like a pig. But 
the service itself is very small. So it's the priest and the couple and uh, an attendant each basically standing really close to each other across a table with, I think was a service book. I don't think it was a Bible. And the priest basically read the service in a relatively monotonous, very fast way. And there was no expectation that anybody gathered would participate in any way. In fact, I think I clocked what was basically a version of the prayers of the people happening. And there was a really old man with another microphone sort of sitting off to the side who just said the responses. There was there was no expectation that anybody else would say anything. And other than holding up the book at a couple points for the couple to kiss, sort of wrapping conjoined crowns onto their heads at one point and then leading them on their first steps as a married couple around the altar once there was really no participation by the couple either that there were no vows that they said anyway um and as i'm sure that we'll say at some point i'll save you the trouble jd i know you're holding this in your holster but it was all greek to me um (laughs) ha ha that's not what i thought you were gonna say (laughs) <laughs> but the, the overwhelming thing was the distinct separation between what the priest was doing and what the, I think, five or six camera people were doing. They were flanking the priest, one on either side with these long lenses, I think almost literally on his shoulders, as though his shoulders were just there to be tripods for the lenses. Um, there were videographers around literally sort of like moving wedding attendants so that the pictures would look good. It was as though we had walked into a photo shoot and a wedding had just happened to be happening in the same room. Now, I can't decide if it's to his credit or not, but the priest totally ignored that stuff. Like he did not let it disturb what he was doing, but what he was doing seemed to be completely disconnected from the main thing that was happening was the photo shoot. And I just felt like it was such a strange and surreal thing to be witness. And literally that's all I was, I was there, but I was not invited into the service. I couldn't exactly tell who the service was intended to be for. Um, And that's really what I wanted to ask you guys first, when you are officiating a wedding, who is the service for? That's a great question because I mean the, the assumption going into most weddings that I've done on the part of the couple, and then not, with no with varying degrees of of, uh, of of faith, so people who are really Christian, people who are not Christian, but most do tend to come in with the um, with the idea, hey, this is about our romance. You know, this is this is this is the climax of our romantic relationship, and so we want the service to reflect that. You know, it's 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 about and, and in particular, it's not just about the couple, it's about the bride, you know, <laughs> so um, that tends to be the, the thing that um, that just in the secular mind is, is the focus and uh, Christians and uh, people who, who want to have a Christian marriage tend to just kind of import a lot of those, a lot of those kind of secular ideas about what a marriage is um, in, in, into the church. You know, it sounds like, and it sounds like that's worldwide and not just American. It sounds like the... the <laughs> The experience you had was was one in which the focus was really on how can we get a good picture for the <laughs> yeah. For, yeah well that's the, the thing is like the it didn't seem like there was a 
a, a sermon or homily or, or the the equivalent where like that's where in a sort of traditional quote unquote religious American wedding, the priest stands up there and says wonderful things about the couple. Like I've met this guy and we, he's right. such a great guy and she's so, you know, she's so pretty. Uh, so it didn't seem to be about the couple in terms of the service. Hmm. It almost didn't seem to be about anything in terms of the service. <laughs> the guy was just like, I'm getting through this and yeah. this sort of thing is happening all around me. I've been given these words to say, and that's my job to say them. Because, I mean, so theologically, at least in an Anglican context, the the marriage is a the, the public joining together, public in the sense of before the church, uh, joining together a man and, and a woman um, as one flesh by God. So the service right. is, is for uh, the public to witness what God is doing in joining these two people together. And what God is doing in joining these two people together is, as we said this many, many times in this podcast, is a proclamation of the gospel. It's all about That's right. Christ and his church. So so the, the couple, you know, definitely they're the central human um, players in the, in, in the drama, but it's the, the point that's being made is much larger than the couple. And, and hopefully the couple knows that going in, that this, you know, go, you, you go into your wedding, your wedding is not really about you. It's about Christ and his church. And it's about, and it's about um, God acting in your lives, uh, joining you together in an indissoluble union that, that, um, that is about the gospel. So it's a super important thing. That's why, that's why our, our service begins with that, I think really solemn and fairly frightening, you know, warning. This is not something to be entered into That's right. uh, lightly, uh, unadvisedly, or um, but deliberately, reverently, and in accordance with the purposes for which it was instituted by God. Right. That's the. Uh, that's the. Yeah, I mean, I think this is exactly why um, we we you know often when we talk about Anglicanism and the various you know the. Um, the split from the Episcopal Church and the various um, sort of fractures happening all around denominations around the question of marriage, uh, people sometimes wonder what's the big deal. You know, it's just a, it's just, um, you know, like we watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and we watch, um, you know, My Big Fat Greek Wedding or whatever. And we say, well, this is, these are, seems like, you know, an important thing, but not so important as to divide. And I think that points to a real ignorance of exactly how profound and how important it is to the understanding of God's, um, of, of the public witness of the Christian to the world, you know, because not only as we've talked about before, are we watching the, the union of man and woman in, in specific, but in general theological terms, we're actually watching the reconciliation of yeah. the broken image of God being wrapped back together in light of the finished work of Christ. And so just as we say, uh, Christ, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, blessed and adored, um, uh, this, this, um, institution by his presence and and first miracle in the wedding of Cana, we also see the um the restoration of the broken image um through the the sort of public uniting of these otherwise disparate and fractured people the i.e men and women and so it's it's you know when you begin to wonder when you begin to to really draw lines around who can be married what are the processes by which you're drawn into this marriage what are the criteria all of these various things um it's really the the less important you place it or the, or the lower uh, you place it on the the level of importance it really speaks more to your 
misunderstanding of Christian theology than anything else. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, and I speak as someone who's, who's grown in, in a deeper appreciation of this over my life in ministry um, and was um, probably, well, not probably, I can easily say, and I said before, you know, early on in my ministry was, um, was questioning and was not nearly as convinced that um, this was in fact one of the the, the major fault lines around which, you know, one had to, um, to be, you know, fences had to be built and defenses had to be put in place and um, great care had to be taken um, when you entered into or prepared people for this. And I've repented of this and I am grateful to have been led out of a place where I um, would have said, um, you know, I would have said, you know, of course I would have read the words reverently um, and advisedly not to be, in, I mean, not to be entered into unadvisedly, but reverently um, in accordance with the purposes which is instituted by God. And yet I have a much, I say that with much more fear and trembling now than I ever have. And I'm grateful for that because um, it really is uh, the, the bedrock of the Christian witness to the world in the unification, not only of Christ to his bride, but the representation of that in the image of God being restored in front of a, a, a wandering world. Now you would think it would go without saying, but it clearly does not that a wedding is a worship service. I mean, we come into a church and we have a service. In any other context, we would we would think of it clearly and firstly as worship, but I can't imagine th- though the wedding that I just attended on Crete looked in a lot of ways very different than a wedding often looks here. Nobody walked out of that little church, I think, feeling like they had just attended a worship service. And often, all too often, people don't leave weddings in America with that feeling either. I, I think, I'm, I don't know if this is, this is probably not coincidental, but a funeral is brought to mind, which commonly in the 21st and 20th century have started to be called celebrations of life. Perhaps you've heard this phrase um, where, again, we're cutting the legs out from under what is a worship service and we're pretending or not pretending, but, but we're claiming to celebrate the person who has died in the same way that at a wedding, we are celebrating the people who are in love rather than worshiping the God who has actually done something. Funerals are, are are notorious for that, and you have you have uh, a lot of battles to fight usually with with families, especially if they're not Christian families. But if you have maybe a parishioner who has much who's died, and much of his family or many many people within his or her family are not Christians, the battle you have to fight is okay. Music, they're, 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 they inevitably want you know my way by Frank Sinatra, yeah, yeah, Frank Sinatra <laughs> my way, or they, and they, and then and then. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, and 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 you keep everything happy, you know, because I, mm-hmm. I know my, I know, you know, I know Frank. He would have wanted everyone to be happy, and he didn't want anyone to cry or be upset. And that's right. Uh, and so he was just up sure. there in the nineteenth green, you know, yeah, yeah. Just in the nineteenth <laughs> right, right. hole, just having. And so yeah, the same kind of thing with, with with weddings. In the in the sense, you know, there was that craze for a while that was going on on YouTube. Where you would have the with the, those the, ridiculous entryways, the yeah, entrances. the dancing, yeah, the dancing was, in, and the, and the. I think I would have just walked. I think I would if they like sprung that on me. I think I might have just walked out of the service myself right. and been like this. I was like, one of you, I'm sure, is a universal life minister. You can <laughs> right. have this, you know. Right. It's like I remember I mean, the first the first time I had to tell a couple they couldn't write their own vows. Um, I wanted to ask you guys about this. Yeah, this the the and and they had very strong ideas about about what they wanted to say to each other because right. they had been together for a while and they were deeply in love. And I said, well, you know, 
you can't do that because we have uh, we have a, a this is a, a service in which you are you are promising one another things that have been laid down as 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 the the, the bases and structure of marriage that God instituted in the garden. So you've got to that your vows have to reflect that and not just your feelings for each other. And, yeah. and, and you can't write anything as profound and as short, I promise exactly, you. And so that's just, exactly. Uh, but, the, but the vows were, you know, I love you for all, I love you so much. You're so wonderful. And I will always tell you, you the and you're my coffee, like you complete me, you know, <laughs> you complete me, right. Stuff. right. And, and, and it's, I mean, okay. Yeah. It's bad on a literary, literary level, but, but inevitably what happens when people not, okay. I'm sure there are exceptions, but in general, when people write their own vows, it's always going to be focused on how I feel about you. How do you right. feel? Um, not about sickness and death. Right. And, <laughs> that's right. And, and poverty. Right, right. right. And sickness exactly. and Exactly. Yeah. And, and that comes from this degenerate, yeah. just the, our societal confusion about what love is. You know, when a couple vows to love one another until death, our culture hears we are promising to be in love forever. And that's not what we're talking about at all. You, you can't be in, I mean, um, if Anne's listening, of course you can be in love forever and I'm totally in love with you forever. But like, <laughs> but in general, the feeling of being in love is, is something that can come and go, right? So you're not, when, when, you, when, we, when we ask couples to stand before God and vow to always love one another, we're not talking about a feeling, we're talking about an action and a doing, a, a, a giving of- Well, yourself. we're describing it. That's exactly right. right. We're saying and is sickness something and you can do whether but... you feel it or not, whether you feel whether you feel like you're in love, you can always give yourself over to the other person. And that's, you can do that for your, yeah, enemy, especially do that for your, 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 your spouse. Um, and again, so, it's, it's related to the worship of a God who will do these things. We're, right. we're asking God to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us and by a miracle, make us people who can love in the way that we have been loved. Amen. That's exactly right. No, I, I tell him from the beginning, I mean, I have like the intro meeting, you know, and then I, among the other things we talk about, one of them is I just said, just for the record, you know, we don't, we don't allow you to write your own vows. So if that's a deal breaker, then, um, you know, I don't, I'm sorry about that. And so far, so far, no one said broken, no, right? that's right. It's no, so far, but, um, but I'm sure there've been some people who were disappointed. They just were polite enough not to tell me directly to my face, I guess. But, um, no, I think, you know, again, and we, we, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I, I'd be interested, Matt, about your criteria for weddings and marriages and things, because I personally, over the past five years, have dramatically changed my own um, my own personal uh, sort of qualifications for people who I will or will not marry. Whereas one point I I viewed, in fact, I think quite erroneously, um, doing weddings for um, nominally Christian, if not even almost explicitly non-Christian people, as sort of a evangelistic tool. And I, you know, eventually over almost 10 years of doing that and having a 0% um, success rate and that happening, uh, eventually it seemed. Uh, Despite I, all the I, chicken dances you did at the receptions. I did everything I could. I mean, we used to, you know, particularly before kids I and mean, we were there, you know, the beginning and to the end and we tried to be winsome and, um, you know, hip and cool and, and I was still somewhat of an outlier because I did, um, I still, uh, amongst some of the people with whom we were talking about at the time, uh, other ministers, I still would would bring up the question of, you know, premarital sex and cohabitation and things and sort of um, frown 
and wag my finger sternly, but nevertheless had very little, much, little teeth in even that conversation. But even the bringing it up was for some of the people we were talking with, Nick, I think you were in the group at the time, um, even bringing that conversation up was considered to have been not evangelistic or not winsome or not something like this. And, you know, I think part of it was the naivete I had about having grown up in a relative, not relatively, a super stable Christian environment where like, for instance, both my parents and Liza's parents both just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary and not seen, not having been personally affected by the ravages of, of um, non-Christian marriage or unequally yoked marriage or, or divorce or any of these things, which are actually a function and a fruit of not taking seriously enough um, your Christian commitment to, to marriage. And so I think having then watched and seen the fruit of that, even amongst some of the people that I married, you know, or people that got married similar times to Liza and I have really um, kind of convicted me and frightened me and redoubled my, my resolve to, to be as forthright and upfront about the challenges these people are going to face. And if they're pretending to face them without an actual living relationship with God uh, and, and a lifeline to his mercies in Christ, well, then, you know, there might be hope for them in a stoic sense to grin and bear it, but it's not going to look anything like it was intended to be the joyful um, celebration of the, of the bride and, and the bridegroom, um, the marriage supper of the lamb, you know, sort of embodied in the life of a Christian person and a husband and wife. And, um, and so as a result of that, I, um, you know, haven't actually done a wedding since we rewrote our standards, at least at Christchurch. And I'll be interested to read about the one there are at, at St. Luke's. But, you know, for instance, I, I wasn't going to do a wedding for someone that wasn't actively involved in the life of their own parish. I mean, I understand that people come home to their, their home church and get married and they're all sorts of, you know, grandma grew up here or whatever. And that's fine. But, you know, I was used to be like, well, I hope maybe after you get married, you'll go find a church, you know, and I hear anecdotally, you know, four or five years later that they're still looking you know, or something. Um, it's like, well, that's not happening anymore because you, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to stamp this with my, before God, well, then I'm going to, you know, hand you off to someone that knows you that you have already been known by. And, and you know, and the further conversation would be like, well, why isn't he coming down to, uh, to take part in this, you know, and so on and so forth. Because I had a couple of weddings back to back where I went into the office with Ted afterwards and I just said, I need to confess to you. I need to talk, repent of some, you know, of, of some of some bad practices, frankly, and we need to rewrite this um, standard because I, I can't do this in good conscience anymore. And I'm grateful for that because I have um, looked at the you know, the prospect of marrying people, we won't be as, as frequently marrying people as we were before. But uh, when we do, it will be, as you said, Nick, um, an actual joyful celebration, as opposed to a um, kind of a formal sort of a formality uh, that just takes place before the actual real celebration, which is the reception. So Matt, what do you do? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I had the similar experience as JD, you know, when I first became a rector, I was, it was a very small, Peter was a very small church back then and 40 people or so on a Sunday. And, and I remember people asking, Hey, my, my, my niece is getting married. You know, would you marry her along the same lines as, Hey, you know, my, my second cousin once removed, just had a baby. Would you baptize the baby? And it's kind of seen as this kind of right of this, this obligation that you have as as the pastor to marry the couples distantly related to your parishioners or to <laughs> baptize grand grandbabies re regardless of whether or not 
the people are going to church or or, or believers or not. And so, yeah, I, I kind of had the same thing with as, as JD did. And I finally just said, that's that. I, I'm not doing this anymore. You, 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 if you want to get baptized, when you're baby baptized, you need to be in belonging to this church. And I have to have you, I have to see you in the pews for, for like six months before we talk about baptism. And then when we talk about baptism, it's going to be, I want to know that you're going to raise this child in a, in a, in a Christian manner. And then same kind of thing for marriage. I mean, I'll, I'll baptize, I'll marry people who are not part of our congregation, as long as I can be assured that they're in another congregation and actively, and actively participating. But then I, my first question is, why aren't you getting your pastor? To, yeah, that's why, good. Yeah, why, why me? Why, why, not your, why not your pastor? Yeah, let's call him right now and just, yeah. and just find out why. And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. you have <laughs> right. right. Um, so, so, yeah, so the, there's, there's standards. I mean, I, 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 there's some things I ask diagnostically to couples who want to be married who are in my congregation. I mean, I want, I want to know their understanding of I, I do ask whether they're living, whether whether they're actively sexually engaged. I don't want I want them to, if they have been, to at least spend the time in preparation for marriage, not doing that. Right. <laughs> to, right. to have okay, we're gonna we're gonna have at least this you know maybe six months, seven months run up into your marriage. Why don't you exercise Christian uh, discipline over your sexual life during this time and Amen. confess your sin and Jesus will forgive you, but let's go ahead and try and live like Christians until then. And that will make your wedding all a little more wonderful. I, uh, I do, I do, you know, it's, it's in here. There's a, there's a difficulty in telling sometimes when you have churchgoers, uh, whether they're truly Christian. I mean, you can't ever tell that, but sometimes during the course of, in the course of marriage counseling, you find, Oh, you know, this person doesn't really know the gospel. <laughs> this person's been sitting in my pews for you know 15 years, and oh, this person's not a Christian at all. Um, so what we do is we have, uh, and I, know, I think this is standard throughout Anglicanism, Anglicanism in the United States, anyways. We have six hours of required counseling for each couple. Sometimes that gets extended depending on <laughs> on the couple. Sometimes it doesn't, but the 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 priority in every bit of in the first few sessions there is communicating the gospel and that he should the couple understands it um we do that in various ways uh we we have a session on the bible understanding what marriage is from the scriptures which is a great opportunity to preach the gospel um then we have the second session is always going back and a couple kind of tracing back their family tree so we can identify any kind of weird dysfunction that's passing on from generation to generation which often happens and that often brings up a lot of things that are happening right now. Yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah, I usually ask the question, I say, you know, which is awesome, uh, which has been has been the, so, the opportunity for a lot of really interesting conversations is, you know, what are what are some of the things that you really like about your the way that you were brought up? Um, yeah. And, you know, everyone's in there say, what are some of the things you don't like about the way you're brought up? And then everyone is fairly easy to say that because, you know, they're detached from their parents, whatever. And they, so, you know, so, and to the extent that, you know, your spouse uh, what are some of the ways that you wish she or he had been brought up differently than, than the way <laughs> they, they have, um, you know, which, which sparks some really interesting conversations <laughs> because, and, and, you know, because as soon as someone says something negative about your, um, your mother, um, you know, and you're not married yet, it begins to, to, re it begins to expose how, how um, much work the Lord will do to knit your hearts together at that point and how far apart you are, because, you know, you still feel defensive uh, yeah. against this other person, no matter how in love you are. Family um, background is huge. Some, I mean, yeah. you, you can, you go back and we, we actually have them trace out family trees so that like what you find is these patterns 
and it's really good to see it. If you're, if you're, if, if one uh, member, one spouse is, has divorce on both sides of their family all the way back for three or four generations, right, 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 right. then, you know, it's really good for the person they're marrying to know that. <laughs> and for the, that person, yeah, to say, okay. Like- you know, this last 17 generations have all ended in a murder-suicide on the <laughs> Like, that's uh, just so you know. Uh, right. So I don't know if we should. It just, you know, might be an interesting a bit of data, to right? But I would imagine that you get some resistance to that idea that, that there are things outside someone's control that may have impact on them. Do people resist that idea? I mean, I've, I've never had people get upset by, for me, what, I, what I tend to say is that we're doing, we're, we're tracing back your family tree because family dynamics tend to pass on from generation to generation. And um, uh, the gospel does change that. I mean, you do see dramatic sh- changes in family cultures when, when one person becomes a Christian or one couple becomes a Christian and it just it changes everything. But, but it's, but what happens in, in marriage is when times of high stress, high anxiety, high pressure, family patterns tend to reemerge, you know, so if you've, if you've got a, if you've got, if your father was an alcoholic and his father was an alcoholic and his father was an alcoholic, when, when stress, uh, when, when pressure comes along, well, then there's, there's all, you're all more, more likely to go and turn to alcohol to, to relieve distress. Mm-hmm. So just knowing that is helpful for both, both people and involved in the, in the, in the marriage. Um, and, and speaking about, speaking to both of them about how, how the gospel can change those dynamics. I mean, the, the, the sins of the father can be revisited on the, um, on the son or the daughter. And, and, um, so I haven't had, I haven't had that much resistance. JD, have you had anyone get upset with you for asking those questions or? No, I mean, if anything, I think, you know, the kind of the, the psychological aspect of it, family systems, you know, kind of, uh, family of origin, all of these things. I found people much more conversant in that. Um, even if they are, uh, far from the faith, um, and and you know, in in some good ways. I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking into some of these things, but but you know, what what I have had trouble with, and what I've had uh, the most difficulty with at times, is people articulating you know their actual personal relationship with the Lord and how that will influence and affect their 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 married life. Because you know, I mean, Laz and I've been actually reflecting on this a lot because this place where we are in the mountains up here. Uh, vacationing with her parents is where we got married and so you know I'm, and I get to preach uh, and so it's you know brings back all of the memories um, and now it's been quite some time and we will be celebrating 19 years this this September and realizing how ignorant and young and you know misguided and all of the blindness that we had 19 years ago and being grateful that the Lord has preserved us and has um, and has forgiven us and has sustained us you know, does allow me a lot of compassion and sympathy for these relatively ignorant, you know, hopefully young and idealistic couples that come to me. And so I want to be quick to say, you know, I don't have this sort of uh, this bar uh, that they have to to reach that, that assumes that they are fully formed mature Christians as husband and wife. I mean, that's that's part of the gift and grace of marriage is actually the sanctifying aspect of bringing you to realize, first of all, how much you actually love only yourself, and then slowly letting the Lord uh, strip you of that, hopefully through the grace of marriage, which would not require, you know, um, medical or, or legal or <laughs> intervention into your life. You know, it would be something where eventually over time you begin to loosen the grip on your own self-interest and actually um, do lay down your life for someone else. I mean, that's where 
you know, that's why, again, in the God's providence, marriage, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby carriage, as it were, because as I say, and I don't think it's, I, I forget who told it to me, but I often quote it, and I can't remember, you know, that marriage brings you to your knees, which is the first and appropriate place to, to, uh, to be when you're given a baby, you know, because once then the baby, uh, and it, you know, obviously the Lord will redeem if it doesn't come in those exact ways, but, but that's what, we are looking for when we're when we're having people enter into marriage is that you have no idea what the future holds and you have no idea what challenges you're going to face and you know if you think it's about sex and happiness and and health wealth and prosperity well then you know we've got we have thousands of years of human history to point otherwise and yet we also have thousands of years to point to as to where Christ is the center of a marriage, even in the midst of good and bad and sickness and health and richer and poor, then joy, his joy and the peace that the world does not know can actually be found. And we've seen this, you know, and I'm like imploring the couple at this point, like, you know, get into church or stay into church or meet with your pastor or, um, you know, and I, and I, I have grown more, um, well, I, it, it, as we said before, I mean, I've, I've changed some of my, my base level criteria for this, but it's not out of a sense of judgment or contempt for people, but out of a genuine sense of, of, of concern, um, you know, because if you're not a Christian and you enter into a contractual relationship where, you know, we have sort of this understanding that as long as we keep upgrading the house and the car every five to 10 years, then you give me some children and you keep them fed and well, and we have a certain, you know, we have this agreement, well, then that could work. And that's, I mean, again... I mean, God bless it, and there's some common grace there. But uh, when we're talking about Christian marriage, we're talking about something um, distinct and beautiful that the world um, should rightly see as a foretaste of the heavenly banquet, as a, as a place where forgiveness is real and redemption is possible and reconciliation is modeled. And that's something that, that we take very seriously. And, um, you know, and I have fewer and fewer apologies about having um, a deep and abiding concern about, um, about who we marry, how we marry them, what are, uh, where we marry them even, you know, I mean, like, let's not get on a cruise ship. I mean, like, I mean, if we have to go on a beach, that's fine. But I mean, it would be like in a worship service with a cross and a sermon and a church. Like, this is what we're, we're doing because it's the, it's the heartbeat of the world. I mean, that's really what it is. It's the place where Jesus um, wants to be seen and celebrated um, in and through the life of a Christian person. And that's, um, that's why we take it. That's why we, 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 we take it so seriously. I remember being, <laughs> I was a very new Christian when I was married to Anne in August 11th, 2001. And I'd been a Christian for four years, five years. And I thought the first, at that, that first year, I thought, man, I'm, sanctification is going backwards. I'm, I'm, I'm getting less sanctified, <laughs> but really what it was, was like, what, you know, the, who I really was, was being exposed. Like yeah. all, all my, all my selfishness. And, and I was so shocked. Oh, I was, I was legitimately shocked. I was like, I'll never forget. We were married. Liza and I were newlyweds and we were both working. She was technically my employee and we were working for focus, which is like young life for boarding schools. Basically Peter Moore started it. And I wanted to go to this, I needed to go to this meeting down in Palm Beach. And it wasn't an important meeting or it was something I could easily do by myself. And I was just berating her about, you know, her obligations and duties as a wife and as a, not as a wife, no, as an as employee and sort of, and I remember her like sort of getting together, getting ready. And then she just got sick, like totally sick, um, you know, vomited all over the floor of our new house or whatever. And she was like, I told you I didn't feel very good. And I was sitting there saying, 
oh lord oh. like this is how this is how like cruel and and unloving and and self-absorbed and just blind i was and i've just repented on the spot and ever since then you know the moment she says she's the least bit under the weather i've been like well you take some time off honey put your feet up here's some tea i mean she would probably protest that a little bit but but at the very least i remember being distinctly shocked at a very young and early age and a young husband that you know lord have mercy but i hope that he would change my heart you know change my my life um and i by God's grace, I mean, if Laza were here, maybe she, I hope she would, I mean, certainly she would, she would reflect some of that and say, um, he's in the process of doing that for both of us. And that's the promise. That's what you said before, Nick, like, that's why we worship at a, at a wedding, because the, he has promised to be in this relationship where the two people who call upon his name, stand before him and profess to the world, not their own qualifications for this, but their, their dependence and their trust that he will not let them down, even in the midst of the uncertain future. And that's, that's a beauty and a witness and a profession to the world that um, I hope in light of our um, sort of cultural sentimental way that marriage is, is, has become uh, commercialized. I think that what we're going to see hopefully is a Christian reaction to that and a, and a more sort of beautiful witness to the world of what, of what marriage, when it's understood rightly, um, can actually be. My friend, John O'Leinbaugh said once, and this comes up often, not only in my marriage preparation, but my wedding sermon, that underneath every I love you is an I forgive you. And I think that's a really valuable way to think about the whole thing that that's, you know, again, to return to my point about this is a worship service. That's obviously the fulcrum of our weekly worship service, the, the confession of sin and the absolution offered in Jesus's name. And a marriage is that 24 seven, you know, you're, you're constantly having to forgive the other person for not living up to your own sinful expectations of them and and then, then, then and, repenting of that <laughs> and they the same to you and every time you can actually say i love you and mean it is a miracle straight from god because you're you're saying you know what i'm a sinner and we're in this together and we have been loved by the one who even loved sinners and raised them from the dead and so we have a prayer well, I mean, that's what John says, you know, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself for us as a propitiation for our sins. I mean, that's, that's what love is. And if you haven't experienced that um, in Christ, then it's, you know, it's the old adage, if you haven't, you know, if you, if you haven't caught it, you can't, well, if you, what is it? If you, if you don't have it, you can't give it or whatever the case is. But nevertheless, if you, if that's what we're looking at, and and that's why, Matt, and I'm sure you, you know, you sort of resemble this. And I, I, you know, I grew up as a Christian, but I would say that, you know, obviously we're not, we're not fully there yet, but the teaching aspect, the training aspect, the sanctifying um, kitchen, you know, where the, the stripping and the teaching and the rebuking and all of the things that go on in the necessary growth of a Christian. I mean, that's one of the, the, the beauties and gifts of marriage to the, to, to the world is that God has, has provided this, this, um, this protective, space where 
where all of his graces, you know, can be can be experienced, you know, and all the the restoration of our otherwise sinfully polluted world, you know, our, the sexual lives, the the economic life, the the familial life, like all of the things that can otherwise spin out of control are actually put into to perspective and actually given back to us as gifts in the midst of the of the marriage um you know covenant of the profession there because because otherwise you know we see all the good the quote-unquote goods of the world you know sex and and um work and family these are all fine things but outside of the of the picture of the redeeming work of christ for sinners well then they can become in and of themselves very destructive forces and so you know i think um yeah, I mean, I've I've become uh, you know much more of a um, of an evangelist when it comes to Christian marriage because it's um, it's become much more beautiful not only in my own life but as I see the necessity and the need for it um, all around us as we see it um, you know the kind of the wreckage of ill-advised or un. Uh, considered or um, just kind of nominally Christian marriage all around us, uh, it makes what we're doing, what we're talking about, even that much more important. I think Christian marriage is evangelistic, but not in the sense that many people often think that it is. It's not so much that you and your wife go out into the world and the world looks at you and says, look how holy they are. I want to be like them. They look at your Christian marriage and say, look how they forgive each other. I've got to know how they can do that. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, I mean, and I'm not saying secular marriages don't last until death. They, they do. Um, some, not all of them, but the, many do. Um, but there is, there is a kind of a, a beautifying and glorious aspect to a Christian marriage that's gone, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And you, and you see both husband and wife are just transformed people. I've, I've known couples who've been through 40 years of marriage and uh, especially as a young Christian thinking, man, I want to be like that. I want to be a husband like that guy. And I want to, and and I know probably the same thing is true for, for Christian women. There's a display. God displays his, his goodness and his greatness and his power by humbling two people like that and, and making them, uh, making them tokens of his grace in a way that, that doesn't happen i'm not saying it can't happen of course because jesus was single <laughs> except for his bride i guess his church um but uh but there are single people of course like saint paul and others who who also give themselves over but but it happens in a unique way in marriage mm-hmm. and because marriage is so common it's a it's a it's an normative way of, in which people relate to one another between the sexes um it's the normative way i think that god displays his 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 gracious goodness in to the world and his and in the power of his gospel amen well we certainly do lift up maria and dominic in their marriage that i just witnessed their wedding this week and for all the married couples or i i guess we only have the one listener right so um, she, she or his spouse maybe will, will be praying for them and for all people as they seek to um, love another and forgive another. Um, we do thank you for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks also to JD and Matt 
I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,